All right, welcome to another exciting episode of Adulting Poorly. As always, I'm your humble pile of shit that sits here behind the microphone. Um, this has been kind of an interesting week. Uh, there's been a lot that's happened. Some fun, some not so fun, and then some challenges that were made toward my cooking prowess and manhood, which I have accepted wholeheartedly and bring to the table today. So, uh, one topic that keeps getting a lot of uh, requests are the junkyard cookies. And great, you can make a chocolate chip cookie, you can make a really good chocolate chip cookie, you can make a fucking fabulous chocolate chip cookie. Um, That last one uh, was my feedback to myself. But let's try branching out a bit. What else can you do? And this challenge came from a friend of mine by the name of Colleen, who decided that uh, I needed to step my game up in other areas and try new things. Uh, So, challenge fucking accepted. All right, Colleen, here's what we did. I decided to, let me take a little sip of my coffee. My throat's been killing me. Same with my ear. Um, I decided to make a snickerdoodle, but not like a snickerdoodle, like a fucking snickerdoodle. All right. First, snickerdoodles is a recipe usually underwhelm in a couple of areas. Number one, they don't have enough flavor. There's too much of the cookie itself. And I mean that in kind of a sugar cookie sense that it's dense. There isn't enough sugar and there's Definitely not enough snicker or fucking doodle. They come up short almost every time. There's been a couple of places I've gone to that make really good snickerdoodles and they all have the same thing in common. Throughout the entire cookie, you get a good balance of cinnamon sugar, which I never seem to get in a lot of other snickerdoodles. What they'll do is they'll make a sugar cookie with a little bit extra sugar and like a couple of teaspoons of cinnamon, and then they roll it in cinnamon sugar after, and they bake it, so you get every bite, they're all bullshit cookies. So I was looking at it, like, how do we do this in a true junkyard style? And because I'm sick and don't feel well, and I'm craving things that are not good for me, a lot of you guys don't know this, but when I am ill, I crave two things, cookies and orange juice. I don't know why that is. It's a a chemical makeup. I don't know. I've never asked a doctor about it because I think they would just go, tell me more about your weird obsession with cookies and orange juice. Anyway, so to kick it up a notch, I decided that I would make almost, I won't say equal parts, but I made a really good cinnamon sugar mixture. So when you're adding in a cup and a half of sugar for your sugar cookies, Make true cinnamon sugar. Don't do two tablespoons. Like, do almost a half a cup of fucking sugar. Or, I mean, cinnamon. Really kick it up a notch. And this isn't just for folding it a little bit later. We're putting this in the fucking dough. Not to mention, I made a little bit extra in a cup because I decided I was going to make apple pie snickerdoodles. Wait for it. Yes. Apple fucking pie snickerdoodles. Now, this is my first attempt, and I already know that I've made a mistake because I had a tester cookie. But what I decided to do was chop up some apples, finally. Now, I'm using more of a Golden Delicious. In reality, I should have used like a granny spin. I need something with tartness to it. I needed a, a good green apple. Didn't have that. So I went with what I had and put that into a pound with some brown butter and then healthy coating of the cinnamon sugar and toss that around. I don't want to cook it too much because I don't want to make a mush because they're going to go in the oven eventually, but just enough to coat it to get that to adhere and not enough to make a caramel, any kind of a caramelization in the pan or on the apples themselves. Had I done that, um, 
I probably would have wanted a firmer apple, again, a green apple. And then also, I probably should have added some acid. So like a little bit of lemon or lemon zest into the cookie itself. I think that would have kicked up a notch. Um, but as of right now, what I did was I made my snickerdoodles using an excessive amount of sh- cinnamon. Um, and then folded in these apples towards the end of it and made these giant, what essentially come out to be like a giant apple pie snickerdoodle cookie. And they're pretty fucking good. The next time I make them though, I will definitely be using the right kind of apple for me. Uh, I'll be throwing in some kind of acid, but I think what it really needs also is some kind of a crunch component. Which is odd because an apple pie, I mean, you have the crust, so maybe making the cookie a little bit harder on the outside would be a goal just to get that crunch when you bite into it. Um, and then is spending very little time on getting the apples covered in cinnamon and sugar, meaning getting them in the pan, get them out really fast, get them to cool so they don't continue to cook in that pan, so they're really crisp when you bite into it. So there you go. Challenge has been answered. I'm still looking for doing some kind of a layered brownie. I'll talk to you when that occurs. All right, moving along. This challenge actually occurred at uh, dinner this weekend. We were down in Seattle, which we don't get to do a lot. Ah, coffee. Which we don't get to do a lot. And we went to this place called La Viva uh, Tapas, which is on, I don't know, and somewhere on Capitol Hill. Um, so we were supposed to be going to this place called Ido's, which apparently doesn't exist. It's now La Viva Spanish Tapas. Um, fucking glad we went down there. Pretty good. Started off with the croquettes. And if you don't know what a croquette is, the best way I can describe it is it's a potato, deep fried potato dumpling that is stuffed with jamon, ham, and cheese. It is like the perfect tater tot is the best way I can describe it as I did when we were at the restaurant. Fucking amazing little tater tot. So delicious. We went from there to having these little lamb burgers. Um, which they serve with this, actually no, the cumin came later, wonderful burger, delicious patty, the top with caramelized onions, and I believe arugula to kind of give it a better spice note, but again, these are all small, so you got to cut them in half and give them to everybody, uh, they made these, these meatballs, I believe they're lamb, but I'm going off memory, which is a little bit hazy, because there was wine involved, but they're like a lamb cumin meatball, and Fuck, the sauce they came with was like a slow-roasted red sauce, but with a heavy amount of grand masala in it. It just, like, flavor note after flavor note. The two, Like, I was literally taking as much bread as I could to dip it back in there to get more of it. And other things I was eating, I was dipping in that sauce as well. Couldn't stop putting it in my face. Um... We had a few other items, all of which were great. They actually brought out what they called uh, their chicken lollipops, which is just a drumstick. Very good. That came with the cumin um, yogurt sauce, which was, again, fucking outstanding. A little bit of lemon on the backside of it to give it uh, just a hint of acid. But having an herb roasted chicken that you can dip in there and then put all that in your face, that one bite is very unctuous. It was delicious. And then the last thing that we ordered, which... You know, if you're going to go there, order this first and get everything else second. Is their octopus? And their octopus, I don't know how they treat it, but normally to get that kind of a flavor, or at least uh, you don't get a super spongy bite, like you have to grill it for long periods of time, or you have to at least cook it in like a, 
uh, Instapot or a pressure cooker for a long period of time to get it. So it's very, very soft. Um, and it doesn't like, it's not chewy. And this was exactly that. It, delicious. Heavy garlic. Um, layers of flavor to it. So good. Um, but of course, you know, since I can't just have that, we were, you know, blocks away from what I consider to be the best ice cream in all of Seattle and in Portland, which is salt and straw. So we decided to finish there by we, I was mostly me pushing for this. We go from there to salt and straw. For those of you who don't know what salt and straw is, salt and straw is a great ice cream joint that opened up down in Portland. Um, they soon expanded really quickly because due to their popularity. They have a very high fat content ice cream, which makes it very, very, very creamy and delicious. And they change their menu constantly because they're going with the seasons. Uh, I believe, like, Colleen, Jen, uh, the two of them had a... God, it was like a yogurt base with hibiscus, I don't remember, rhubarb or something else. It's fucking delicious. A little bit of hint of lavender in it and honey. Very good. Uh, I had their uh, chocolate hazelnut, which was like somebody had taken a very creamy, like taken Nutella, added chunks of chocolate and a little bit of uh, coconut, whip that all together to this creamy, incredible goodness, and then stuck chocolate chips in it, and then put it in my face. Um, and the last individual that was with us, Doug, I believe he got their mint chocolate, which is also very good. Very understated. Not over the top of the mint or over the top of the chocolate. It's super complimentary and uh, not overpowering, not too sugary. It was just this creamy mint. It was great. Um, I always get mine with a waffle bowl because you can break off pieces of the waffle bowl and make what I call ice cream nachos and that you're using the piece of the bowl to scoop and put the ice cream in your face and it's fucking delicious. Um, that kind of spawned more of this cookie talking conversation because they do things similar to how I make cookies. They make ice cream. It's taking a lot of things that are really good elements and putting them together in an outstanding ice cream and they just do it. They do it so well and the way that they have their service line set up is you have a line of people coming in the door, and there's always a line. Uh, but it moves relatively quickly because the people will come out from behind the counter and say, you know, hey, who's your party? Are you guys here? We'll let me move you over here, and I'll help you and get you guys set up. You can try as many ice creams as you want, which I did because I'm disgusting. Um, but also help me make up my mind exactly what I wanted. That chocolate hazelnut wasn't even on my radar until I tasted it. and It was like, yeah... I got to go with that because I was going to go with their chocolate brownie, which is like eating a brownie that had a baby with chocolate ice cream and then they raised it very well. It's gone to the finest schools all so it could eventually turn into this ice cream that I would fucking eat and it was delicious. But the hazelnut at that time was just better, just better for me. Um, anyway, so even their service is amazing. It's pretty much... I wouldn't say over the top, but it's it's very consistent. Um, I don't think I've ever had anything there that is bad. I even tried one that was a cheese, Beecher's cheese combo, Beecher's cheese honey, and I believe lavender. This was last year, and even that, um, I could like I could have eaten that as part of a charcuterie plate. Like, oh, I'll take the here's a little bit of you know chorizo and some ice cream, and yeah, that sounds gross, but it probably would have fucking worked. All right. All I can say is if you get a chance, hit that up. 
it's a little bit of a walk, but if you go between La Viva and you walk over to uh, Salt and Straw, you've worked off enough that you are actually going to feel good about what you're about to eat. All right, unless you do what we did, which was go drink right afterwards, but that was amazing. Um, moving right along. Uh, so I don't know how many of you guys have ever had to deal with um, a death in the family that you had to work through. Uh, I had to do that for my mom um, eight years ago, almost to the day. Hold on, i got to get coffee again. And uh, it, there's a lot of things that are very difficult to do, exec- especially if you're the executor of the estate. You have to go through every hoop and every hurdle and every piece of red tape for every company that that individual was associated with. Uh, one of these companies was Bank of America. And I had to bring in death certificate, notice of estate, like you name it, I had to do it because she had a home loan there in her name. Now, the estate has been, us, has still been paying on this home loan because we have family currently living there. Um, And nobody's been in a situation where we could just take over the loan itself. So we've just been paying on it, paying on it, paying on it, paying on it. Well, they changed the tax rate on the property and I underpaid two months in a row by a tune of $200. That's total, not like $200 per month. So just 200 bucks, not 400. And granted, a lot of this is on me for being lazy. When I get notices from Bank of America about that account, I don't look at it because it's almost on automatic. So there couldn't be any issues. I get a notice from them that is a certified letter telling me that I have my legal rights to foreclosure on the property or here, what are my legal rights pre foreclosure on the property, which sent me reeling nearly immediately. So I call bank of America to only be told that, Hey, you're not on the account. We can't do anything for you, bud. Sorry. Why don't you go eat a bag of dicks and never call us again? And not the burger joint, like actual penises. So I'm going through like, Organization after organization, like, well, can you transfer me here? Can you transfer me there? The number that's actually on the letter, I'm not allowed to make contact with because I'm technically not on the account, which is weird because I had to go through every hoop eight years ago to be on the account, which is a point I made repeatedly. If I'm not on the account, how come it, the letter is addressed to the estate of Catherine rather than just her? And why is it coming to my home address and not her old home address or the property home address? Uh, yeah, that silence is you don't have a fucking answer for that because I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, finally have to get to their literally death and dismemberment team and talking through that and they were like, well, you know, obviously made a mistake. No shit. Obviously you did. I'm glad that we're both on the same page. Can you at least tell me or if we're in pre-foreclosure? And this is where things get super weird. The woman I was talking to goes, I can't tell you that because you're not technically on the account yet. I said, okay, what do I have to do? I have to go through the same process, so I have to find all the paperwork again, go back down, have them scan it, send it over, the works. I said, is there anything you can tell me about pre-foreclosure right now? And she goes, all I can tell you is that an account like this one, in any similar status, is not considered to be in foreclosure. And I was like, hmm... Well, thank you for that information. Let me take all of my paperwork down to the bank, and then I will call you back in 24 hours, as the time is what they asked me to. So, 
take the paperwork down, come on back, wait 24 hours, foot tapping the entire time, give them a call, hey, did you guys get all the information? Yes, we did. Am I on the account now? Yes, you are. Tell me what in the fuck is going on with this account then. Your account looks fine, sir. What? I have to send you to an agent for you to speak with. They're going to ask you some validation, verifying questions. Then they're going to go through the account. Okay. So I'm on hold for probably 10 minutes until I speak with someone who then tells me, yeah, the account's fine. I said, then why did I get this scary fucking letter? Why, 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 why did I get this scary fucking letter? Um, We don't know. We think it may just be an automatic... uh, mailer that goes out if for some reason there's any issues with your payments. So, rather than calling me and telling me, hey, your last two payments were short, you sent me this scary fucking letter, which, by the way, is even incorrect because if I'm still paying on there, then, yes, I might be not up to date, but I might be $200 short on my current But I'm not 90 days past, which means you can't take any action. Not a fucking lick. So they send you this letter to scare the shit out of you, to call you, to then go, oh, no, no, you're fine, but here's what you need to do. That is fucking asinine. So now I've got to go through all these other hoops to ensure that they never send me that letter again. And apparently one of my... The things I can do is make sure that our first step is to call you and not to send you a letter. Yeah. Let's do that from now on. How about you just call me and say there's an issue here rather than send me through every fucking hoop on the face of the earth and make me relive something that was a tragedy in my life from eight years ago, you fucking assholes. I digress. So that's my experience with Bank of America. As of late, I've had multiple issues with Bank of America. This just happens to be one of a very long, long line of issues that we've had, um, which has got me to a point of once I can get this moved into my name, then I will refinance with another bank because it can't be it can't be with them anymore. I can't give them money anymore. Fuck them. <sighs> okay, moving right along, we're coming up on a time of the year that I love. And hate. Uh, we have the draft coming up on the 25th and 26th for the NFL. It's one of my favorite times of the year, but it's also called the lying time of the year. If you look at kind of previous podcasts of what we've been, I've been talking about. Um, one of the big things that has come up is the Russell Wilson contract um, deadline, which is today. And hey, as of you know, almost one o'clock, there is still no update on his contract, only that if he doesn't get a contract by today, he will not sign anything. So even if they come up with one tomorrow, he won't fucking sign it, which seems childish, especially if you're getting what you want. But if you're, if you put a deadline knowing that there's no possible way it can be reached, meaning you have under 10 days to make me the highest paid quarterback in the league and I want a bulletproof contract with all the guaranteed monies. I want all my shit. And there's no possible way that can be done during that time period. You're you're basically setting yourself up to say, you didn't make my deadline and now I'm not signing your contract because you couldn't make my deadline. I'm not only taking my ball, but I'm going home with it too. Now he has stated that he will participate in all club workouts And that he will still play this year. But if you look at what's happened with certain players over the last two years, and I think it's specifically of Le'Veon Bell, 
and Antonio Brown. They have forced trades to teams that they have wanted to go to or just to be released out of their contract altogether by using a similar methodology. It is the franchise's fault, not mine. And because I can no longer trust the franchise, I can't be here anymore. Boo-hoo-hoo. I'm Russell Wilson, and I need all the money that this team can actually provide given to me so then I can complain that we can't win championships um, and then eventually move on in the next four years. Four to five years, which is what probably that contract will wind up being. Now, a lot of experts have said the same thing. You can have him play out his contract, franchise him in 2020, and franchise him again in 2021, and then watch him walk out the door. At that point, he'll be, what, 33, 34 years old? And he'll probably be the hottest free agent on the market at that time. Or you can trade him now, which in my last podcast is something that I am completely for right now. And only because if you don't trade him, if you pay him, you have to have other players that walk out the door. Which leads me to what uh, I wanted to kind of go spin, yarn, whatever you want to call it today. Um, Now for fans of just football in general, but the Seahawks specifically... You have two players that are in a similar situation. There's a third waiting in the wings, which also kind of goes to this. Now, one of the players is Russell Wilson. The other one is Frank Clark. They're both going to generate a similar contract. Okay? About $105 million, which makes me giggle when I hear it. You're playing a game that you're supposed to love. $105 million. Whatever. I know teams make a shitload of money on it, but okay. $105 million for each of them. One contract is going to have more guaranteed up front. So that would be Russell Wilson's. Frank Clark should probably have a lot guaranteed up front and then have the ability to restructure in the next few years. Um, but in current state, you can't have both of them. You can't have two $100 million contracts on the same team. You can't do it. Because you, you don't have the cap space to pay both of them $50,000, or $50,000, well, you do have the cap for that. Um, you don't have the ability to pay them fifty dollars to $85 million up front of their contract. That's a cap hit you can't take in one year or over two years. There's not enough money in the kitty for the rest of the team. So who do you trade? Who do you get rid of? Who do you let walk? And here's the tough part. You can't, re- I mean, you can let them walk. The Patriots do it all the time. Hey, it's been great. You helped us win another Super Bowl. Nice to see you go to another team and get $65 million. That's Trey Flowers, by the way. But here, you're talking about a team where one person, the quarterback, wants as much money as he can possibly get, the highest paid in the league. Then you have a defensive end, which is a very integral part of not only the defense, but how this specific defense works. It's about generating pressure quickly, so you make mistakes and throwing it into a zone defense, in this case, cover three, where you have pieces of that defense that will not be paid if he's if you have to do both contracts, or at least one giant contract, which is Russell Wilson, you won't be able to pay Bobby Wagner. But then if you have to do the same thing with Frank Clark, you may not have enough money to pay Bobby Wagner. So, do you trade them? I trade them, one of them, because I want something back. 
And that might be short-sighted. It might be very short-sighted. It might be Tuesday morning quarterback kind of short-sighted. I can say these things because I don't have any consequences if I'm wrong. Because it's all hypothetical. But you spent a second-round draft pick on Frank Clark. He's been very productive for the time that he's been here. But getting something back and not just letting him walk away, which... Granted, if you let him walk away, there is the compensatory picks, which in this case might be a second, or not second, like a third or a fourth round pick. I think it might be closer to a fourth round pick only because of his draft status and then where he is at as far as a free agent is concerned. So you might get a third round pick from him via the NFL as kind of a, here you go, here's, sorry you lost that guy, which by the way, again, is how New England gets a shitload of draft picks and they stock up. But what if you could get a first? Or what if you could get something in return? What are some of the needs we have? A lot of people have pointed that the center of our offensive line isn't as good as a lot of people think it is. We're great on rundowns or shit on pass downs. And again, is that the line's fault or is that Russell Wilson's fault? Because he holds on to the fucking ball too long or scrambles around and runs into a defensive end. That other person that we're trying not to pay. Got it? All right. If you trade Frank Clark... There's a market for him. There is. He's a defensive end. He's a disruptive defensive end. But he's also one that's going to garner a $100,000 payday. But what can you get for him? You might be able to get a first-round pick, not in this year's draft, but next. Maybe get a fir- one first-round pick and a player. Or I should say a second or third and a player to be named later. But they don't do that. I'm just kidding. That's a Major League Baseball thing. Maybe get a corner. Or you get a safety because that's a need we have a free safety, open pocket. Granted, um, Tentric Thomas did a pretty good job last year. He did okay, but not a great job. Um, not like McDougal's doing on the other side of the ball. How he's replaced Cam Chancellor has been a very, very high-quality player that we got on the cheap. Um, but we could use a high-caliber player at that area. That might be something a team would be willing to do. I'll trade you our safety for your defensive end and maybe a little something on the back end, too. Okay, that's nice, but he would not garner near as much as Russell Wilson would. You're talking about somebody who controls a good percentage of the game on one side of the ball. In fact, the entire offense has to go through him. It has to, making him a marquee player at his position, or I should say, making him a marquee player for a team. And he's actually kind of, he's a big name as far as that position is concerned. So what do you do? Again, I think between the two, and people hate me for this, I'd fucking get rid of Wilson. Uh, Mainly because of the way that he's handled this entire situation. If he was trying to be more humble about this, um, give some reasoning behind it, you don't win a win a championship when you make demands like this. And I think that's the, the thing that I'm stuck on that bothers me the most. You don't win championships by being the highest paid quarterback. Did Mr. Rogers and Mr. Ryan make the playoffs last year? I don't think either of them did. And they're the two highest paid quarterbacks in the league right now. You know who did, though? Tom Brady. And he won a fucking Super Bowl again by doing what? Renegotiating his contract at the beginning of the year so they can get more money to get players around him. He understands the game. He's a true game player. He also knows that because of his current situation, meaning with his wife, his own um, endorsements, he really doesn't need the money. He doesn't. And Russell Wilson, kind of in the same fucking boat. 
You could take less money to be more of a team player, build a team around you that would actually win a championship. But you don't want to. You want to be a dick about it. All right. Well, if you're going to be a dick, leave town, man. If you want to leave town, then at least have the balls to say it. I don't want to be here anymore. The Pacific Northwest is too small of a market for Russell Wilson. I want to be in New York with Sierra or Los Angeles. Fine. Go. By all means, fucking go. But make sure you're saying it. Stand up and say, this is what I want because that's actually okay for you to do. Yes, you're a celebrity, but I don't give a fuck about your opinions. If you want to leave, leave. If you think the market's too small, fine. Just fucking say it. Just say it. And that's why I think you put up this stupid deadline and everything else. You don't want to be here, that's fine. We don't want you here if you don't want to be here. It's been great. We had two Super Bowl runs. We won one. You kind of fucked us on the other one, but whatever. Um, time to go, man. Pack your bags. Pack your shit. Sell your house. Where do you want to go? New York? Let's make it happen, Captain. You want to go to the Giants? I'm guaranteeing they would probably make something work. And they're loaded with ammunition now after the trade with Odell Beckham. So, okay, sorry. Kind of went off on a a little bit. <sighs> Looking at it logically, you would get more for Russell Wilson if you traded him right now than you would for Frank Clark. Frank Clark is an integral part of the defense. Maybe not as much as Russell Wilson is for the offense, but if we're going to be a run-first offense, maybe we don't need a Russell Wilson as a quarterback. Maybe we need a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Or maybe it doesn't matter. But I'd be interested to see. I know that our defense, though, doesn't work right if we don't get pressure and we don't get it fast. So if you just look at it strictly from that point of view, our offense could potentially work with a lesser quarterback, but could our defense work with a lesser quality defensive end or somebody who's bringing pressure off the edge? And I don't think it does. I think there's a greater impact on the defense if you don't have someone like Frank Clark on the end that it does in the offense having a Russell Wilson. And by the way, I'm probably 100% wrong in so many people's eyes and I could give a fuck less. Okay? The bottom line is something has to be done because you don't keep both people. You're going to trade one. And it would be sad to lose someone like Frank Clark knowing that maybe Russell Wilson doesn't want to be here and we're going to be faced with a similar situation in two years where he pushes the button again and we just let him walk away. So which which one is it? Do you lose him now or do you lose him in two years? Or do you put an offer on Frank Clark and he stays here till he retires? Don't know. I don't know and I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions, but I would be probably the worst fucking GM on the face of the earth. Because if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be, man. Peace. I'll find a way to get rid of you. But everyone else in the league will know you're a pile of shit. And then as a quarterback, how do you own a locker room if you're a pile of shit that just is in it for himself? Hey, I love that you go visit kids in hospitals. I think you're a good man for doing that. But then, your true colors come out when you're like, eh, but everything's about me. So yeah, on that, fuck you. All right. Well, that's all I have for this week. 
Um, if anybody has any food challenges, meaning places you sh- think I should go eat, food you want me to try to make, um, converging opinions, anything else, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter. You know what they are. Um, again, thank you all.